Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another Record Celtic podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the reports emanating from Australia that Celtic are in talks to buy Central Coast Mariners. I'm Dan and Cooney and I'm joined by top Aussie sports journalist Francis Leach who's going to give us a lowdown on this story. Hi Francis, how are you? I'm well mate, how are you? Yeah, very well, very well. How's it over there? What's your temperatures oh, like? Make us sick. It, it, <laughs> it's been a beautiful 25 degrees in Melbourne today. So we've been uh, out in the shorts and t-shirts enjoying the sunshine. I'm sorry to tell you that but it's true. <laughs> that sounds perfect. <laughs> right, you know why we're on today? We're, uh, we're just going to pick your brains about these reports emanating from down under that say Celtic are in talks to buy Central Coast Mariners. I mean, first up, what's, is there, what's the depth of truth in these reports, Francis? Well, I wouldn't be surprised because there have been clubs who have shown interest in the Mariners before. There, last year, uh, there was a serious look by Everton. They've got their own problems at the moment of purchasing the club. And, uh, and now there's uh, been interest from Chinese consultants as well uh, that the Mariners might be worth the investment. I mean, uh, it's a club that's produced a number of fine footballs for Australia. I know uh, Tommy Rogic is one of your favourite sons at Celtic, and rightfully so. Uh, and he cut his teeth at the Central Coast Mariners. Uh, and there are any uh, Socceroos who have come through there in recent years uh, have uh, applied their trade at the Mariners. So it's a club that's produced good footballers, and it comes with palm trees and giant sauce bottles, as well as a, a beautiful inlet at the back of the ground, which is very picturesque. So not only yeah. do you get good footballers, but you get a really strange football ground and, uh, and some sunshine as well. And what's not to love? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I saw those pictures. What's that all about? Is that just advertising? Those big sauce bottles. <laughs> <laughs> so just advertising. So I think the company is Mastercraft have been one of the sponsors, and uh, they had that uh, arrangement at the back of the stadium, which tapped onto uh, uh, the the inlet, which is right behind the stadium. And so they just put the big sauce bottles up there, and uh, every time there's uh, a bit of play in that penalty box, you start uh, looking for uh, a, a, a chip buddy or something in which to uh, to split the bottle into. But uh, uh, it's just one of those little quirks of Australia's summer football league. Yeah, yeah, it looks, looks good. Now, t- tell us, have you any idea of what kind of figures have been, been banded about? What what are they looking for? for to Not a hell of a lot. Look, I, you know, there's been suggestions that it wouldn't, wouldn't cost a lot. So when Melbourne City was sold to, at the time Melbourne Heart was sold uh, to the Manchester City Football Group about four or five years ago, it was less than $10 million Australian, I think, that they were in the, on the market for. Maybe they paid a little bit more. They paid a little bit of uh, overs. Uh, to get their hands on it. So you wouldn't part with more than £10 million, pound, I reckon, <laughs> to buy the entire club. Now, when you consider uh, the price and the cost of uh, football talent in the UK on the continent these days, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not even, uh, you know, it wouldn't even be a little messy toenail worth yeah. to, uh, to, purchase the, to purchase the club. Uh, you know, it's economies of scale. It's a small football club in the grand scheme of things. But what it would offer 
would be an opportunity to uh, to spread the club brand, but also to uh, use the farm system for young talent in Australia. Now, there have been Celtic uh, uh, talent schools here in the past, and certainly there's been interest from other English clubs in looking at young Australian talent. So it'd be a really easy and gentle entry into uh, an offshore football enterprise for a club like Celtic. Yeah, yeah, sure. And tell us a little bit more about Central Coast Manors, if you will. I was reading up there... Seems like the first manager was a, was a Scot. Uh, yeah, Laurie McKenna. Laurie McKenna, who yeah. went on to be the mayor of the local area as well, and uh, very much loved figure in the Australian game. Uh, and uh, he's still involved, I think, in local politics, and very much uh, you know, a hero of the of the, uh, of, of uh, the Central Coast Manor. Now, Central Coast is near a town called Gosford, which is about about two hours drive north of Sydney, uh, very close to Newcastle, uh, which is the, the city uh, which is uh, their, their greatest rival in the A-League as well, the Newcastle Jets, uh, which is a working-class steel town not far away. They're both very working-class communities in beautiful spots, and they really do have some spectacular spots, but uh, they're mining communities and, and communities and light industrial communities as well, uh, and a growing tourist boom is, uh, in that area because it is so beautiful. The Hawkesbury River runs not far from the, from the Mariners' Uh, ground, and that is one of the most spectacular inland waterways in Australia. So it has a lot of cultural beauty about it and a growing population. So a lot of people who can't afford to live in Sydney, uh, it is a very expensive Sydney, they now find themselves moving uh, out to Gosford and Newcastle and beyond. So it has a growing population. And I guess if you're a forward thinker and a forward planner, thinking about uh, growing population centres and the possibility of what that offers commercially and also in terms of future football talent, it, it might be worth a long-term investment. Yeah, yeah, okay. And and how are the team getting on? Are they have they had much success of late? Well, not they, Paul Uncon, their current manager, has done a really good job on limited budget. I mean, they have had to scrimp and save for the last couple of years, the Mariners, because of financial constraints and the fact that they haven't had uh, an owner who has deep pockets. But he's done a really, really strong job in fitting together a team that can be competitive. They're a young team. Uh, that, uh, that has been uh, quite exciting to watch this year, for sure. I mean, for the first 10 years of the A-League, they only won the, uh, the championship once, but they were perennial finalists. We do have a final system in the A-League. Uh, they were forever making you know, the top two, top four on a limited budget and, and competing with the big clubs like Melbourne Victory and, and Sydney FC. And as I said, producing you know, Socceroo after Socceroo has come through that squad and been schooled by the Central Coast Mariners. So they're a club with a, a really strong reputation, with a good football culture, and, uh, you know, they're playing an exciting ground of football this season, if not the results haven't always gone their way. Yeah, yeah, OK. Now, do you see any players currently at Central Coast Mariners who you think could make a step up? Now, our, our league here in Scotland's often kind of derided and dismissed, but Celtic's still a massive club in European and world football terms. They're now starting to be consistent Champions League qualifiers. So even yeah. if you don't think the SPFL is a massive step up from your A-League, Europe certainly is. Do you, do you see any talent there at the moment where you go, hmm, yeah, he can go somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I do, and I would just say, you know, uh, the A-League, <laughs> it would still be a considerable step up for players uh, from the A-League to play in the SPL, as we've seen with Tommy. I mean, Tommy had just the physicality of playing week in, week out in the Scottish Premier League. And the tempo and of the games, and I think the A-League is closing the gap in that regard. But if I look at the talent they've got on their books, if there's one player in particular in this current squad who certainly has that potential. Potential. He's a young man by the name of Daniel Castilva. Uh, he's uh, he started out playing in Perth as a teenage sensation, a solid 
Uh, as a 16-year-old, he played uh, about 33 games for Perth Glory before he moved overseas and played at the uh, Rota JC in, in the Dutch Eredivisie, uh, having a stolen loan there. And I think he's certainly got the potential, having represented Australia at the under-17, under-20, under-23 level, to, to be a really fine player. He's having a bit of a breakout year this year in, in terms of what he has to offer. And I think that's the sort of, that he's the sort of kid that might be uh, attractive to a club like Celtic to nurture in the A-League and then maybe bring him to to, uh, to the Scottish Premier League to try and see whether he can take that step up. And the other way as well, players who might be on the fringes of, of the Celtic first team squad or might be coming through the Celtic Academy who might want to play some, some senior football. Uh, the only sort of better place to do that, uh, it is demanding, physically demanding. Uh, it will test their resilience because it's played in summer. And there are some fine players playing in the A-League and the standard not too bad. I think it will work both ways. Yeah, yeah. And see, see the guy you were mentioning there? Could you, could you see his name again, please, Francis? Yeah, Daniel De Silva. Is Daniel De Silva, right. He's now playing, uh, playing in the midfield for the Central Coast Mountains. But he's, for me, he's been their star team this year. Right, and what, what do you think he's rated at? What are the kind of numbers being associated with him? Transfer fee? Well, he's, yeah, I'm looking at him. Not a lot. He's not a lot. He's not you know, if, if you came calling for the silver at the moment and, and you know, offered a, a couple of million pounds, they would jump at it. I mean, that's the thing I'm talking about. The, the record transfer fee in, a, in the A-League uh, isn't that great. It would be for Aaron Moy, who, who went for like, seven million pounds, uh, maybe even less than that, to, to play at Huddersfield uh, once he went made the transfer to Manchester City. City then on sold him to, to Huddersfield and, and Melbourne City got a, another fee from that, so entitled might be about six million pounds. So it, it's not a great deal of money to, uh, to buy a player of Daniel's stature at the moment, given the, the economies in the, in the A-League. But, but as you mentioned, you know, if you're talking about Celtic perhaps purchasing Central Coast Mariners for around £10 million, if, if you can get your hands on a player who's rated at £2 million for nothing, you know, you're right, you get some yep. payback straight away, aren't you? Absolutely you are. I guess it's also just a long-term investment. If you uh, it would be great for the Celtic brand to have a, a presence here in Australia. There are many, many Celtic fans in this country, as, as you know. Um, I'm a, a big Celtic admirer myself, and uh, the club has instant recognition here. It would be great affinity with the club, and uh, you know, at that sort of price, I mean, I want to feel that the business is viable, that the league is viable, and that they're going to have a long-term, sustainable relationship with Australian football. But as the city group has shown with Melbourne City, uh, if they're prepared to do it, um, and, and they have put down deep roots with Melbourne City, they're not going anywhere, then there's no reason why Celtic uh, couldn't consider doing something similar. Right, well that's a, that's a neat segue Francis, into uh, or sorry, onto Celtic's name in Australia you, you mentioned it there, there's a lot of Celtic fans, a lot of of, of people who have associations with Celtic. What, what about this particular area? Is it kind of a lot of Scots-Irish or, or would they... they... <laughs> Would they boost their their uh, attendances with with affiliation with Celtic Football Club? Yeah, I think that would look. Because if you want to delve deeper into this, so that, that part of Australia is actually traditionally a, a mining community, uh, and uh, Australia's big coal mines and, and other resource mines that had been based around the Newcastle and Hunter Valley region, uh, around Gosford and Newcastle, and where the Mariners are. And it is, in a sense, a cradle of, of Australian football. So when those communities were established in the late 19th century, uh, lots and lots of people from Northern Britain came to work those mines. It was a huge influx of people from Lancashire and from Scotland around the 19th century, uh, early 20th century, who went to work in those mines. And so 
in a way, the uh, football has always been one of the natural codes in that part of the, part of the country. It's yeah. always produced great footballers. Whereas in other parts of Australia, in uh, the urban centres in Melbourne, football had a toehold, but it only really had its renaissance in the post-World War II boom when a lot of European immigrants arrived. And we had uh, a number of football clubs established along cultural lines, whether they were Croatian, Italian, Austrian and whatnot. And that produced our sort of like second and third generations of soccerers who are still playing for the country now. But that part of Australia has got deep roots in the game. Uh, it uh, has a very natural affinity with the game, uh, and it feels very much part of those communities alongside our other codes of football. I mean, Australia is unusual in that it has a very strong uh, rugby league culture, as you know, rugby union part. We got beat by Scotland this week, so we'll not talk about that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Australian rules is, is the biggest game in the country, so football has to sort of fight its corner in that very crowded market, but it does have a very a long-standing and natural constituency around Gosford and around uh, around Newcastle in the Hunter Valley region where this club is based. Right, OK. Now, I mean, you mentioned Tom Logic earlier on, Francis. Uh, he he played the full game of the second leg of the playoff, and right? And I think he came on the sub as the, the first. How's he, how's he viewed by Socceroo fans down under? Is he one of the biggest players? Is he a cult hero? What? Give, give us a kind of uh, description. Yeah. Oh, there's still a sense of anticipation about Tom and what he can achieve in a soccer shirt. We've seen his highlight reel from his games at Celtic Park and what he's done in big games and scoring in cup finals and, and his capacity to score from midfield and his running power. Firstly, um, we've got to say we're thrilled that he's playing regularly because the first part of his career was blighted by injury. Now, Tom's background, I don't know if you know, he, he started as a futsal player. Yes. He played outdoor football until he's his mid-teens. So the demands that, that were made upon him to quickly adapt to playing, uh, you know, 11 aside uh, football were quite significant. And I think his body struggled making, making the adjustment. And for a while there, we thought maybe injury was going to ruin his natural potential. As you know, he's got wonderful first touch. He's, his control is superb, and he's really powerful. Um, so we're glad that he's, he's hitting his straps and playing regularly yeah, in the team. Uh, you know, it's humming along. I know just won the 101st trophy in the club's history. Uh, it's just, it's a great place to be for any young footballer, you would say. In the soccer room setup, well, I'm still not quite sure, and it's not his fault. He's been playing often in a midfield combination that quite hasn't clicked. So sometimes he's had to play in the midfield with uh, Aaron Moyer, Paterfield, and Massimo Luongo, who's been playing Queen Park Rangers in championship as well. Uh, and they haven't quite found a way to work as, as a, a trio, as a triumvirate. But, uh, but when he is giving his own head to go out and be the creative force there, you know, that number 10, uh, in, in, in the lineup on his own, it works a lot better. So I think the previous coach, Hans Postecoglou, who's just stepped down, uh, hadn't settled on what of those three or if two of those three would, would work, what the best combination is. But I think it's his position, really. I think he's the most creative player in the team. Um, I, and I think it's about continuity for Tom. So with the Socceroos, they come into camp, as you know, watching Scotland in World Cup qualifying campaign. And they come into camp, quickly have to get to, together and adjust, play a game or two, and then it breaks up and they've got to do it all over again. Yeah. Um, I think at the World Cup, if they can get into camp and can play a series of games, we'll see the best of you know, I, We haven't seen the very best of him in a Socceroos shirt yet, but when we do... I think it's going to be spectacular. Yeah, yeah. He's got, I mean, just to talking about some of his attributes, the way he takes the ball, 
turns just in one fluid movement. It's just, it just, he's so graceful. He just glides around the park. Uh, and yeah, that's what we love, yeah, and, and it's really beautiful to watch when he's in full flow. And, and a couple of times, I think he has been playing for the Socceroos. You know, the, our opponents have done their homework on him, and he's been closely marked. And, and if, if it's not working in midfield, he's easily he's easily checked, and it's been difficult. So you need those other players making space and causing headaches, just in that little bit of space to do his work. And when they do that. Uh, that's when we get to see him in, in full flight. And, and a couple of times during the back end of that qualification phase, he was too easily uh, shut out of the game because the midfield wasn't working. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're still waiting to see one of those games where he just runs the show. Yeah, yeah. And see if we just go back to the Central Coast Mariners and the, the possible tie in with Celtic. Is, do you think it's been of any great benefit to Melbourne City to have been uh, bought by Manchester City's owners? I mean, what, what, what? What positives are they gaining from this? Oh, well, they gained from that a, a level of stability that they couldn't have imagined when the phone call came uh, to say that they had a buyer in mind. So they're playing a very patient game, uh, the City Football Group. Uh, you know, they've, they've shown a little bit of a frustration in the last week or so in that they have uh, set one of the assistant coaches there and they started the season really well under Warren Joyce who's had a long history of uh, being a manager in the, in the championship in the lower leagues and also an assistant coach at Manchester United you know, coach there. Um, but they've got great facilities um, and, uh, and what I've really liked about what they've done is they're to scale. So the City Group have been very... Uh, very classy the way they've done it. They haven't built Melbourne City a huge palace, football palace out in the suburbs uh, and made them look like uh, you know, a glitchy fish out of water. They've built them uh, a really solid, well-run, well-resourced uh, training facility that, that fits the stature of the club. They've got really stable management. Uh, they've got a growing, uh, really strong and growing presence in the community in the northern suburbs of Melbourne where, where, they, uh, where they reside. Uh, and they've got the patience to build it bit by bit by bit. Now, they're, they're, uh, they're attendance, their attendances haven't been as strong... Sorry, there goes my dog. Their attendances haven't been as, as strong as they'd like, I reckon, at this stage. Uh, but they have had to come into the competition uh, about a decade after Melbourne Victory had been well-established and, and were the only club in town for a long time and established you know, a membership base of 40,000, 50,000 people. So they've had to do it a different way. It's that stability, it's that long-term planning which gives them the confidence to keep doing what they're doing and not worry too much at the moment about results. Uh, they'll come, uh, but it is that sort of strategic vision which has been, you know, made to the here to stay. Yeah, yeah, and just finally, Francis, it seems like this could be a very good move for Celtic, uh, buying up Central Coast Mariners, and for the the most obvious reason, getting talent from Australia. But I mean, can it work the other way? Can can Celtic send do Manchester City send over players to Australia uh, to develop to give more first team exposure, or, or is this something that could at least be looked at? Absolutely. I mean, we see players come and go all the time you know, with international experience. Um, we have your own Ross McCormick is currently at Melbourne City playing uh, after having an unhappy time at Aston Villa. So it's definitely the case that they could certainly do that. And I, you know, I think, as I said, uh, the standard of the A-League is improving all the time. Um, it would be a good challenge for a young player to, to come here and apply their trade. But the Australian coaching is very good. I know that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, we suffer in comparison mostly because reputation procedures that we just a, a long ball physical um, uh, type of football they bring. That's no longer true. That's a hangover from an age that's gone past. Uh, and yeah, I think that 
you could, that synergy is certainly worth considering. Given the investment isn't that significant, uh, it's, but it has to be one that would be long term. It's not in anyone interested in be speculative. It needs to be considered. And then somebody will say, yes, we want to do this. We want to put some roots down here and make this work. And who knows what might come of it. Okay, Francis. Listen, thanks a million for coming on. It's been really interesting and informative. Uh, so th thanks again, and all the best. Speak to you soon, hopefully. Thank you.